I'll be reading from Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. And uh, either Neil or Priscilla helped, trying to help me out a little on the, they print up the, the scripture and then I notice out to the side, they have the page number of where it's at if you use the Bible in the pew. I'll tell you a little neat deal though that I just discovered that if you pull the Bible out of your pew and it's the large print for the old people, it's not page 1037. So if you pull one of those out, it's going to be a different page. But uh, anyway, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. And see, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so when I returned, I'd have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I forgot to mention a minute ago that 
in case you're wondering where in the world is Julie and why is Neil over there instead of over here and normally Julie's over there and and so forth. Uh, I could have cleared up your distractions earlier, but Hadley woke up yesterday with a really bad cold and sneeze and snot everywhere, and we decided not to bless you with that today. So, so there at home, uh, cleaning up snot. But speaking of Julie, uh, when when Julie and I moved down here, or when we were preparing to move down here back in April, I guess uh, we were making preparations and, and packing up the house. You know how all that goes, and. Uh, one of the things that we had to do, it was kind of a logistical nightmare because we knew we were going to come down and, and, and leave our stuff, some of it, there at first to kind of stage the house so it would sell better. And, and we knew that where we were going to be staying until we found a house here, you know, we wouldn't have all of our stuff in it. Even when we brought our stuff down, we put it into storage for a while. So we knew that we had to only take our, our bare essentials, you know, your toothbrush and your deodorant. That kind of thing. So, but along with that, we knew we were going to be doing some looking for houses and things like that. So we knew we were going to need some legal documents. And it's better if you keep some of your important paperwork and stuff like that with you. And so we went to pulling stuff, important stuff, out of its usual storage places. Right? Because we couldn't take a whole filing cabinet with us. We just had to take some of the files. And, and so... We kind of had to create a new system. And for the longest time when we were here, I'd say, Julie, have you seen this? <laughs> Julie, have you seen that? Julie, do you remember what in the world we did with this? Did we even bring that? <laughs> and uh, especially when we were going through the process of, of getting you know, approved for a loan and all that. And, and Terry uh, Crawford helped us out with that. If you didn't know, she works at Richland State Bank and she helped us with our loan and all. And and so she'd call and say, I need this. And I'd say, oh boy, I hope we brought that. <laughs> and I'd check with Julie and we'd hunt it down. And, uh, but so we kind of over time got used to this new system we had to make for keeping our important stuff together. And then we moved into our house and now we can put it all back. But then that means <laughs> that what we got used to has changed up. So now we still are all the time saying, no, where, have you seen this? Where is that? Um, have you ever, uh, you know, it doesn't take a move to do that, right? We, I'm sure you've probably set, had problems like, I, I remember, I remember I put it somewhere. What's the word we always say? Safe. safe. <laughs> That's, we always say, I remember putting it somewhere safe. <laughs> and it turns out that somewhere safe isn't always the safest place to put something, right? Uh, we Somehow we all universally find that out, it seems like. We've all had that experience, most of us at least, unless you have just a really, uh, if you're really lucky to have a brain that just remembers where you put everything, good for you, don't share it with the rest of us. But for the rest of us, you know, we all, we've all said that. We, I know I put it somewhere safe and now I can't find it. Sometimes safe isn't the safest place and that's what we're going to kind of talk about today. We've been in this series on God's economy. And we talked about economics being the science of production, consumption, transfer of wealth. Uh, it also can refer to the condition of a region or group as regards material prosperity. We talked about how the United States of America is ranked as the number one economy as far as wealth and all that goes. And we have a bigger uh, GDP, gross domestic production, than anyone else in the, in the world. And 
And we talked about the, the way the world views money and stuff and economy. And we said that um, what the world typically does is we work, 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 and we save, 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 and we spin, spin, spin to get what's mine, mine, mine. That's the, that's the general, wouldn't you say? That's what people do, right? That's what we do when it comes to economics. But we learned last week that that's in direct contrast to what God says we should do in His economy. Lesson one is everything is God's, not mine, mine, mine. And lesson two says that we, He has made us stewards. And we said that a steward is someone who's employed to manage another's property, someone whose responsibility it is to take care of something that's not theirs to possess. And so it is with God. God, He's got everything. It's His because He's God. But He's given us responsibilities. He's given us charge of some portion of what's His. Some of us have a bigger portion than others to care for, but we all have something that we are charged with caring for. We just read a passage that, where Jesus tells a story about another uh, fictional set of stewards. And in this case, these stewards were each given a certain amount of money by their master before he was going to leave town. They were given different amounts according to their different abilities. Some of them were obviously better at investing than others. Maybe more experienced. We don't know all the details. But we know that the first two guys invested wisely it would seem because they reaped a dividend. The other guy played it safe. And he put the money, the little bit he was entrusted with, somewhere safe. And at least he remembered where it was when, the, <laughs> when he came back and didn't say, Now I know I put it somewhere safe. Should have marked it with an X. But here's what Jesus says took place. The, when the master came back, the guy said, Hey, I knew you were really strict on this. I knew your philosophy. I knew how you operate. And so I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your money in the ground. And see, here's what belongs to you. I didn't lose it. And his master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. Now, if we're honest, which is something we like to do at church, (laughs) some of us feel for this guy. Probably all of us. Some of us would say, well, I don't know that I wouldn't do the same thing in his shoes. I mean, how is it so wrong? I mean, the guy, it's not like he lost the guy's, you know? I mean, if he had had invested it poorly, he could have lost it all. But at least he didn't do that. Doesn't it seem a little harsh to yell at him and then throw him in hell? (laughs) Just because he kept it safe? This leads to lesson three. And that is that God very clearly prefers a growth strategy 
to a risk management strategy. And he cares about it that much. And it would appear in the story that this servant knew God's, the master's investment strategy. He knew it full well. In fact, he told the master when he came back, I knew your strategy. And so I kept it safe. And I have a feeling that the master was thinking, well, you know, in fact, maybe, maybe this guy, consider that, we don't know all the details, but consider that maybe the reason his abilities were less, and therefore he was entrusted with less, was that he was new to it. I mean, that happens sometimes, right? I mean, if you hire on new to a job, they're not going to give you the most important workload just to start off. But they are going to give you something to do. And they're going to expect you to try. And probably they're going to expect you to fail sometimes. And it might be, I would suggest, that this master probably would have been less upset if he would have come back and the guy said, I lost it all trying. And here's what I did. And I tried and it didn't work. And he'd probably say, well, did you learn from your mistake? Did you see what these guys did? You know, and he's probably saying, I could work with someone who's trying. But I can't work with someone who's not trying at all. And you knew what my strategy was. You knew what I wanted from you. And you didn't even try. But even so, I think probably some of us are still a little bit uncertain about this whole growth strategy versus risk management thing. Because we're just not wired that way. That's a little bit... I mean. It's just, I mean, we're told over and over, we're, it's not wise to gamble all your money away. I mean, what, I mean, why would you invest it all? It's like, you know, if you were in a poker game, and I know no one here plays poker, but if you were and you pushed all your chips to the middle, that'd be scary, wouldn't it? Especially if that was all that you had. So... I was doing some thinking, you know, I mean, first off, who are we to question God? If God says that's his growth strategy, let's go with it, you know, I mean, if I, Vanguard has my retirement money, if I call them up and say, move it from this fund to that fund, they don't lose sleep at night over that, (laughs) they just do it. It's not their money. And so maybe we should look at God's money the same way and just say, you know, hey, it's his business. He says do it, let's do it. But, just for the fun of it, I did some thinking this week on when would it be okay to have an all-growth strategy and a no-risk management strategy with your money? And I thought, well, first off, first off, first scenario would be if you're unlikely to die anytime soon. Highly unlikely to die anytime soon. And for instance, this is again from, uh, I just used Vanguard because that's what I'm familiar with. They have these pie charts, right? And this is, if you're going to retire in 2060... And I know a lot of you are planning to retire sooner than that. (laughs) Or you're hoping to. But if you were going to retire in 2060, they'd put 90% of your stuff in stocks. Which are more volatile. And just a little bit in bonds. Which are more safe. And other short term reserves and things like that. If you were going to retire sooner, the pie chart changes. And 82% 
is in stocks. It's down from 90. 17.5% goes into bonds and such that are safer. And if you were going to retire this year, it would change even more. And the vast majority, you know, at least half of it would be in bonds, more of it than in stocks. And once you're retired, that shifts even more drastically. So that if the stock market all of a sudden drops, you don't lose all your retirement. But you also notice what happens to the percentage that it earns. The, the ones that are mostly in stocks have the potential to earn 14%. But as that goes down, it drops significantly to 7.5%, 6.5% interest that it earns. So I figured, you know, if your retirement was way out ahead, you weren't planning to die anytime soon, you could afford to have a growth strategy. Another thing that I thought, you know, another scenario that would make sense, the second one, the second one, I could only think of two, would be that losing it all wouldn't affect you anyhow. And this one perhaps is is more rare, but consider that maybe uh, a a mother or father, a grandparent, a, a aunt or uncle, or a second cousin twice removed really loved you, and then they passed away, and turned out they were rich beyond your wildest imagination. You had no idea. And they left it all to you and your descendants in the form of this huge endowment that would pay you a monthly check and your kids and your grandkids for the rest of their life, a monthly check that was more than you've ever earned in a month in your life. And you were set. And none of it, you know, it's not earning interest anymore as far as it's not in the stock market, it's not going to crash, it's, it's safe in the bank, you're good to go. Then if you called up your retirement company and said, put it all in growth, baby, no one would question you, would they? <laughs> no one would say, what are you doing? Wait, because you've got, it won't affect you anyway. If you lose it all, you'll start over and you'll be fine all along, right? So one of those two scenarios seems to be all right. So I thought, well, how does God stack up against all this? All right? Unlikely to die anytime soon. I think we can check that off for God, don't you think? I think he's probably good on that one. And uh, won't be affected by a loss on an investment. I think he'll be all right there too since everything is his. <laughs> all right, so, so we've agreed that God would be all right, but a lot of you are still nervous of where this is headed because... You're like, okay, yeah, God will be all right, but what about me? (laughs) And in case you're worried that I'm about to tell you just to throw it all into an investment and and risk losing it all, that is not the point. In fact, if we check those uh, check boxes again, I wouldn't check off either one of them for you. (laughs) Because every one of us in this room is likely to die before too awfully long. And every one of us in this room would be affected if we lost it all and our families would be affected if we lost it all and I don't think Jesus wants you to lose all your money and make your family destitute I don't think that's part of his plan so then you might say what is the plan what's the point of all this well I just want to suggest to you that the surest way to lose it all 
is to keep it all safe. And we'll explain this. The surest way to lose it all is to keep it all safe. There's about three, no, two. We're going with two again. There's two strategies that this world has when it comes to economics and to uh, how you should, what you should do with your money. The first we might call the savers. All right? And the savers, we call them frugal. We call them wise. We call them tight. <laughs> we call them thrifty. We call them a lot of things. But essentially, they have the philosophy that you need to buy as little as possible, save as much as possible for a rainy day. But in the end, no matter how much they've saved, they lose it all, right? Because they, that whole unlikely to die, at some point we all die, right? Then there's the, the spenders. And we call them free, happy-go-lucky. We call them, uh, we say they enjoy life to the fullest, right? Pleasure seekers, thrill seekers. Really, more often than not, we just call them normal because, because this probably is the category that most of us fall into. We're spenders. You know, we buy, we, we want to have the nicest and the latest and the, good, and the best. I almost said goodest. My goodness. But these folks, they don't even have to wait until they die to lose it all, right? Uh, more often than not, these folks, they lose it all several times in one lifetime. The spenders. And those are the two strategies in the world's economy. But in God's economy, there's only one strategy. And that's the givers. The givers. I shared with you a passage of scripture that I told you uh, last week that we would look at every week. And we're going to look at it again. And the first thing we did before we looked at it is we just owned and admitted that we are rich. Every one of us in this room. Partly because of what I mentioned earlier about we live in the wealthiest nation in the world. And so by almost any standard of the world, we are rich. Even though we don't tend to think of ourselves as rich because we drive by houses on our way to work that make our jaw drop. but Or behind that car that gives us car envy. But... <laughs> And we think, wow, you know, they're way richer than us, and, and Bill Gates is way richer than them, and, and we can always think of someone richer. But by almost any standard of the world, we live in the very top percentages of wealth in the world. We enjoy things that, and take for granted things, that people in other countries and around the world wouldn't even dream of. Even just paved streets and running water and sewer systems and electric grids and things that we just have. And so 1 Timothy writes, and uh, Peter, Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy. And really all the lessons we're learning about God's economy are summed up in this pretty well. And I want to ask you again as I read 
to read with me on the parts that are underlined if you can if you can see them if not just fake it no one will know the difference instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy instruct them to do good to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed almost got carried away on you there sorry about that but do you see here what's God's idea of a good investment What's God's idea of a growth strategy? What are you going to do that's going to store up credit, earn you interest? He says, be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. Do good with what God's given you. Instruct Timothy when you, when you speak to the people in your community because he worked in, setting, in a wealthy city in Ephesus where there was a lot, it was a trade and a commerce. Commerce was booming. Rome was doing great and thriving and, they, and the people, many of them, must have been wealthy. And he says, instruct them with the money that they have to do good, to be generous to give. Hmm. God prefers growth strategy to risk management. And as his stewards, as the people he's charged with taking care of what's his, we need to be aware of what his strategy is. Because the surest way to lose it all is to try and keep it all safe. Because his strategy is giving. A risk manager, in this case, then is someone who, say, with their time, they look and they say, my goodness, the church, they want me to give time to this and give time to that. And they want me to come up and cook a meal for this or they want me to serve at this grace place thing which I'll talk to you about in a minute they want, you, they want me to serve as an usher they want me to serve on this committee or that committee or that board if they had their way they'd take all my time and then I wouldn't have any time left for me and a risk manager clings to their time and why wouldn't God say well if that's what you're going to do with your spare time why don't I take that spare time and give it to someone who's going to do something of worth for my kingdom? And the risk manager says, they're always asking for my money. I mean, first there's the offering every week, and then there's the faith promise thing they're going to talk to us about, and then there's special projects, and there's this, that, and the other, and there's the guy on the corner asking for money, and then there's my neighbor who's fallen on hard times, and the list goes on and on. I have to bail my kid out again. <laughs> and if I 
keep being generous and I keep giving with my money, pretty soon there's not going to be any more left to buy the things I want to buy, to do the things I want to do. And why wouldn't God say, well, if you're just going to hang on to all that I give you for yourself, why don't I take it and give it to someone who's actually going to do something for other people and for me? Because I prefer a growth strategy to risk management. And if I entrust you with something for this season of your life, and you choose to just sit on it or bury it in the yard, I'll demand an account for that later. Because I've made it abundantly clear what my strategy is. And I'm looking for givers. surest way to lose it all is to keep it all safe in our three lessons that we're learning so far you know the funny thing about this giving thing is is I would challenge you to find anyone who gives generously of their time and their money for God's kingdom and his work whether in the local church or in another ministry someplace or in missions or wherever they do give. I challenge you to find one of them that says, man, I regret it. I regret it. Boy, I mean, all that money that I've given over the years could have bought a lot of stuff. I was thinking about that actually while we were were driving back from Lake Charles yesterday and I thought, my goodness, in the short time Julie and I have been married, like six and a half years, I believe. I'll get that straight before our next anniversary, but pretty confident, six and a half years. And over that time, I'm pretty sure we've given away at least a whole year's worth of salary, what we would normally earn. And I was thinking about that. That's a lot of money. And I don't say that to toot our horn or anything. I mean, for crying out loud, there's folks sitting in this room that, have, that would put us to shame with what they've given. But I say that, and, and we could say, oh man, you know, we could buy a car or two with that, or look at the dent that would put in our mortgage. You know? <laughs> or you, you could think that way, but we don't regret it at all. And there's been times where we've been giving, and I'm looking at the, the year's expenses and the stuff that came up, and the medical stuff that came up, or whatever came up, or delivered a baby, my goodness, That'll put a dent in your finances. And I look at it and I say, there's just no way that all this should add up to where we're coming out okay at the end of the year, and yet we're coming out okay at the end of the year. And I just attribute that to God taking care of us. And I, again, just talk to some people who give. Have you ever heard of someone who's a giver that says, boy, I regret it? But, have you ever talked to someone who spent all their money on other stuff and then they regret it later? I think we've all, individually, we could look at things in our own life, can't we? And say, I regret spending money on that. That was a waste. What was I thinking? But we've never done that with what we've given to God's work Have you? 
How many of you would say on the contrary? That giving has given you a sense of purpose and joy in your life that was otherwise missing and that God has incredibly taken care of you even though you've given so much of your money away. How many of you would just raise your hand and say, yeah, God has blessed me. Raise it up high if you've... Yeah. Just about everybody in this room would say, man, I give and God takes care of me. I give and I feel good about it. Again, that's the thing about God's rules. Sometimes we look at them and we think, Man, you know, he's asking a whole lot of us, isn't he? He wants us to do this and not do that, and he's pretty demanding. But when it comes down to it, when we do things his way, our life is better. <laughs> it's funny how that works. We're going to be having our Faith Promise campaign here shortly in just a couple of weeks and in your worship guide today there's a, a bulletin, a brochure of sorts in there that breaks down this year's budget that the missions committee and the council worked out and approved and we're excited about some new things we're going to have the opportunity to, to give to you may see some unfamiliar names and things on there this is something where we ask the church every year to pledge to give towards it on top of what they normally give to the church. So on top of, you know, we, we preach and we teach tithing. The idea that we give the first part of our money to God for his work in the church. Tithing is taught in the Bible as, as a 10% thing. And we say, okay, we give that part to God. And then this faith promise thing is something that we give to above that. And it shows you something about this church when you look at that budget, doesn't it? That we've been doing that. $20,000 more than that is given above and beyond by people. Because they believe in investing they believe in this growth strategy they don't buy into the risk management concept they believe God can do more with their money than what they could do with it on their own and so we give it away and some of the neatest stuff that we get to talk about on Sundays and we get to celebrate happens because of that faith promise giving but I want to encourage you too, on the flip side of that, if you know the temptation is there for a lot of folks that would say, well, I'm going to mostly just give to this faith promise thing because that's a lot more fun. <laughs> but the truth is, if we don't faithfully support the church first and the faith promise second, there'll be no church to do the faith promise. <laughs> All right? So... That's why we have to have those priorities in that order. But we're excited to share with you that weekend. You'll find some information in your bulletin about dates and times. We'll have an event that Friday night, the 20th of March. And Saturday night, the 21st of March. And then culminating here on Sunday morning, on the 22nd. 
when we'll turn in our pledges and, and add up the, the amount pledged. And you don't want to miss that weekend. It's going to be a special time with uh, actually one of the missionaries that we support, the Kreitzers, will be here with us. And so we have that to look forward to. But uh, we're actually going to watch a video about the Kreitzers here in just a minute when we do our announcements. But for now, I just want to leave you with the challenge to be bold in your giving. God's looking for bold people willing to invest His capital, not just manage risk. Let's pray together as the praise team comes to sing. Lord, we thank You for the challenge to be givers, bold givers. And I pray, God, that You'd increase our faith. Giving is one of those things, God, where we all find ourselves in different spots on it in different times in our lives. And, and you start us out when you find us, we're giving nothing. And, and you teach us slowly and gradually that we can trust you. We start giving a little bit and we see, God, how faithful you are. And we give a little more and we see how faithful you are with that. And God, there's never a time where you want us to just sit still with it. And coast from here on out. You're always challenging us to grow in this area. And I thank you so much for the lessons that you've been teaching us just through this series. Help us to remember that everything's yours. Help us to remember that you've entrusted a portion of it to our care. And Lord, help us to remember that your strategy is a growth strategy. A giving strategy. Not a keep it all safe strategy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.